0: the father and of the son and of the holy ghost amen dear father once again we we draw nigh unto your word this word that this word that is jesus this word that has come and dwelt amongst men father we ask this evening hour that you would be merciful here to this flock that gathers in this corner of your world This precious, this preciously redeemed flock who, who you saw, who you saw in, in the suffering of Gethsemane. This flock who you saw when you hung on Calvary's center cross. Father, we ask that you would, would break your word this evening for us that we could all be partakers that You to anoint the, anoint the heart and lips of the brother that, who brings, who will speak this evening. Father, we ask that you would break this bread so small that even the youngest could, could partake and be strengthened. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.
1: The next song is song number 186, entitled, Son of My Soul. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. This morning our precious brothers Wilfred and Gary reminded us that we have begun the Advent season. And though normally it seems that I keep quite a good track of the church calendar, it altogether slipped me. And I thought how how befitting that it is Advent. You see last night I was driving through the town of Winchenden and I guess I haven't been out at night for some time or didn't realize what changes have taken place for it seemed like there was more Christmas lights than I'd ever ever seen on the houses. It seemed like one after another the one was more awe-inspiring than the one that I had seen before it wasn't until I left the city limits and of the town, or I should say that the boundaries of the village itself, that I realized what a beautiful moonlit sky there was. But those lights were shining so brightly that I, I didn't see the moon until I got away from the town itself. As I considered those lights, I thought that uh, the Christians also should have Christmas lights. And not only should the Christians have uh, Christmas lights, but they should be Christmas lights. Our Christmas season in this society in which we live begins more or less officially at Thanksgiving. Around Thanksgiving you start seeing in the banks and places of business uh, the Christmas decorations of all kinds. But one thing that seems to be common to all of these decorations are the lights. And perhaps some of you saw as we did as we came to church tonight, that some of those houses were very lit up. And this is now the world's advent, that they light up their homes and their business places, awaiting for Christmas, a time of uh, family get-together, a time of partying and whatever they might do, and perhaps even some church going. So this is then their advent. And I think it should shame us, we who are the believers, that our lights don't shine as brightly as theirs do. And we have much more reason to be festive and glad in our own hearts, do we not, that we would have lights also, and that we would be lights. Jesus says that uh, a city that is built upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light candles and hide them under a bushel. And he said that let your light so shine that the world could see it. And they may see your good works. And I noticed one thing about those Christmas lights, that predominantly they are three colors. One of the colors that seems to be so predominant this year, or at least where I traveled, was the white. Some houses had so much white, and I think they were made to look like icicles hanging from their eaves. And lots of lights were shown that way. And a Christian, there should be some Christians too, that have this kind of white light too. That there will be a purity, a purity, that the robes are washed white. And the other color that's predominant in in Christian, during Christmas time, there are two others. One is green and the other is red. Those are called the Christmas colors. And all that we would feed at the green pastures. Or as the psalmist has said, as well as the prophet Isaiah, that I would be as a green olive tree. You will know how it is after, in the spring when it comes, one of the things that we wait is for the greening of the earth. For we know from that that life has been restored from the dead. And isn't it amazing that in this Advent time when the trees have become dormant and the plants have faded and the leaves have been swept away, that we will wait for a greening for our own hearts. And the other color, and probably the most brightest and significant of all is the red one. The prophet Isaiah tells us that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white white as snow, and though they be as red as crimson, they shall be as wool. In the beginning of that verse it says, Come now, and let us reason together. The Lord says unto us tonight, Come now, let us reason together. You who have been weighed down with your sins, your red and scarlet sins, your bloody sins, you who are polluted in your own blood, The Lord says unto you tonight to arise from thy pollution. For there is another blood that has atoned for your sins that will make you as white as snow. I thought tonight that we would continue in the same gospel as we did last week. Namely the gospel of John. But this time uh, that we would turn to the fourth chapter of John. And we will consider some of the reasons for our Advent. And maybe we'll see some Christmas lights here too in our text. John chapter 4 beginning with verse 31. And we will read in Jesus' name. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him off to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest, and he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you the reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then, when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again unto Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went on to him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him, and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. And he himself believed in his whole house. And this is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Amen. We have begun our text kind of in mid-story. But I thought we would start here, for we have often heard of Jesus at the well, at Jacob's well with the woman from Samaria. And in the beginning, uh, and not, not that we shouldn't rehearse that again, it, it's precious and it's God's word. But I thought we would look at this other portion tonight. And uh, as we begin our text, we find that his disciples came and urged him to say, Master, eat. Well, if you would have read in the beginning of this chapter, when Jesus, uh, it, was, it had been about 12 o'clock, it was the sixth hour, and Jesus was weary from his traveling, and he sat down there at the well when at that time the woman of Samaria came. And the reason that he was alone at that well, it was that the disciples had gone into town to buy some food. And this is how preciously God arranges things. And this is something that we should take careful note of. Yes, it is true that Jesus uses his disciples. It is true that in this Lestodian movement, and in this country in particular, we are called the Apostolic Lutheran Church, that we have wanted to follow the footsteps of the apostles, that we would preach with one another and have close communion with one another, and that we would spread the word with one another. But there are also those times that we need to spend alone with our Savior and Redeemer. And our Savior and Redeemer has set that example for us, what we read often in the Gospels how he went alone to pray. But he also needs to talk to each individual heart, as we have heard in our text. But not wanting to get ahead of our text, then we will enter into what we read here in the beginning. That when the disciples came and they had gone for that purpose, to find food for Him. For they were concerned with this carnal, though necessary, matter. They asked Him that, well, they urged Him that, Here, here is some food now, why don't you eat? But He answers them and says that I have meat to eat that ye know not of. And their minds were so caught up in their carnal world, even as ours are, and as I find myself also, that the disciples asked one of another that, Well, has somebody been here and has someone given Him something to eat? But Jesus now begins to talk to them about that meat. Which is the reason that he has come here into this world and left the glories of heaven. He says that my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That is the meat of our Savior and Redeemer. To do the will of him that sent him. Now whose will are we talking about? none other than the will of the Heavenly Father Himself. And it has been the will of the Heavenly Father to send His Son into this world. And this is that which we await this Advent season. We await once again the coming of the baby Jesus. And I thought many times, and you've probably heard it too, and perhaps been your own thoughts, that He has to first come as a little child because He has to be broken so small, even as our brother Ed prayed to us. That we would be able to, in our hearts, to be able to receive this, this Jesus. So he comes to us in such a lowly and a meek and a small form. For our hearts are narrow also. And, and because they are so full of this world, that he has to start in a small way in our own hearts. Although he does some great things. And so Jesus tells us that his meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And to finish his work. Well then who has begun that work? If Jesus has come to finish it. We read in the various apostles and we read throughout the Old Testaments. That the work that had been begun. It was begun by the father. But the Father had used His own created beings to do this work. For thousands of years up to this point, the prophets and the law spoke of Jesus, even as Jesus Himself testifies to the travelers on the way to Emmaus that Easter night. So His will is to do, the, uh, or His meat or the food that He has is the will to do Him that sent meat. And if this is true for the Savior and Redeemer... It is also true for us. But first of all, he has come to finish his work. And where has this been proclaimed? But on the cross of Golgotha when he says it is finished. That work then has he come to finish, which has been begun and proclaimed. But now, this matter of Christ's suffering and death for us is not a matter that is just strictly left outside of ourselves. Although it is true that we have not merited nor earned anything toward our salvation. But it also has to become a part that we share in it. For Jesus also says that we are to deny ourselves and take up his cross and follow him. And he also wants us to enter into his labors. That is into the labors of his heavenly father whose will he wants to who he has come to do. And he begins thou to teach the disciples too, that their this work is also theirs, for he says, Now don't you say that there's yet four months and then comes the harvest? That's what you say naturally, don't you, in the springtime. When you have sowed your fields, and then you look and you pray for increase, and you say in about four months and then we'll have harvest. And behold I say unto you, but he wants to turn his focus though To something more precious than just the outward harvest. For it says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The heavenly parent has sent his son to look. And Jesus with his bright eyes is able to see that the harvest is already white, the fields are white. You know that when the fields are ripe that there is not much time to be wasted. We so must go in there and harvest and reap. For who knows how soon the fall, the fall winds will come and the rains and the hail storms that will knock this crop down. And there is need then that we would not tarry any longer, but we would look upon the fields for their white in harvest. And Jesus now exhorts his disciples as to what it is that they are to do as his disciples and his followers. For he says, and he that reapeth, receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you the reap that wherein you bestow no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered in their labors. The Apostle Peter writes in this way in the first chapter of the first epistle. When he talks about that work that had been done in the Old Testament covenant. Unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to, uh, to look into. Here the Apostle Peter ties into two matters. He talks about how from the very beginning of scriptures the prophets and the law have foretold of his coming. And he ties in there that time of Pentecost, when Peter himself, who was the preacher, had, and had been preaching, and where three thousand souls were saved. For the Holy Ghost had come upon them. And these are the things then of which Jesus speaks when he says that I sent you the reap whereon you bestowed no labor. And other men labored and you are entered into their labors. That this great work has been done from the beginning of time. And now you are here as reapers. But he also says earlier that one soweth and another reapeth. And he said before that that he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. This is the missionary covenant then, or the commission rather, that we as his disciples have been given. That we would be as we talked about those Christmas lights. That there would be seen in us from our mouth and from our lives the purity of the white lights and the bloody redemption in the red lights and the green new life of transformation also that are found in the green. So may it be Dear fellow travelers that are here upon the way of life, that you also would enter into these labors in which the prophets have entered in the apostles have also, that you would also together with me would be a light in this world. And not only a light in this world, dear brothers and sisters, but if if the Christian is to be a light, he has to be a Christian, a light also in the Christianity. And it is not only in this day, but it has been from the beginning that it, uh, where Christianity has shown the brightest, it is there where the devil works the hardest, and he tries to bring all kinds of deceptions within the true believers and into the, within the heart of the believer. For we are we live in a land of graves, and we are border dwellers, as we have said before, and we are in great peril, and therefore we need to enter into these labors quickly. Do we not have friends and relatives and neighbors who yet walk upon the way of darkness, who have yet to experience the great light? Dear fellow traveler that is here tonight, are you one of those lights? Are you a reflection of the true light that has so shined upon this world? Not only then when Jesus entered in and the angels proclaimed, but especially then on Pentecost, When when uh, cloven wings of fire alighted upon the apostles and upon those that were gathered there. And that Pentecost spirit is something that we have to pray for from God. It is a matter, it is a change and a transformation that takes place in the hearts of men. And when the Holy Spirit begins to dwell in the hearts of men, they become new people. They have new lives and they have become transformed. And there is a light that is seen from them, and they are heard of men, and they are despised and hated. That is one of the costs. I thought of those Christmas light, those lights that the people have on their houses, how much expense they have gone to put them up, how much labor they have expended to put them there, and how much cost and expense there is yet to maintain those lights, to pay for the cost of those. Are you as willing as the world is when they first tell their God? Are you as willing to pay the price to be a follower of Jesus? To follow Him who is the light of the world? And now I said, as we said in the beginning, that we're in the midst of the story of the woman of Samaria. And we find here that many of the Samaritans of that city believed on Him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that I ever did. Remember how she told Jesus that, I perceive thou art a prophet. When Jesus spoke to him about those eternal wells of salvation, that she also, that they would spring forth the life unto her. And she became a partaker of them. And she immediately became a missionary. She was one of those Christmas lights also. She went to the town to preach of them. And we can see here too how it is. So there is a twofold matter, isn't there? Sometimes in this Christianity, I think that we have emphasized too much, that our Christianity is a Christianity of of holding hands one with another and traveling together. And I'm not saying to despise this, but this is also an important matter that we come to know the Savior and Redeemer in our own hearts. And it is true when John the Baptist was preaching, he sent his disciples to the Savior and Redeemer, that is he the one or do they wait for another? Some have taught this way. They have taught this way that, they, that John the Baptist sent them to Jesus so they would have their own Savior also. And that is the matter that is here. Although I also agree with those who say that John the Baptist had to hear one more time. And we will see that matter coming up here in our text as we get into it. And so these Samaritans then, they... Uh, they uh, Believed on Him for the saying of the woman. There was something that stirred in their heart when this Christmas light began to shine in their town. There in that despised Samaria. There in that area where the Jews would go long ways around. So they could avoid going through that despised place. As they traveled from Judea to Galilee. And so when the Samaritans were come to Him. They besought Him that He would tarry with them. And He abode there two days. We can see here from our text that something wonderful has happened in the hearts of these despised Samaritans. We can see here in our text that as the Emmaus Road travelers, they also have the great desire that Jesus would tarry with them. Don't leave us now, we have just begun to hear of thee. And that's how it is for the awakened heart. He awaits and he can't have enough of Jesus. Don't go away, Jesus. Stay here with me. That's, that's the heart of the awakened and the transformed one, and the one that's newly come into, into faith, the one whose green light is brightly shining, in whom spring has just arrived in his own heart, and a time of refreshing is there, and the voice of the turtle is heard, turtle dove is heard in the land, and we read here that many more believed, because of His own word. And this is very crucial. And he said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard Him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. We have heard Him with our own ears. We have tasted and we have seen that He is good. We have a Savior and Redeemer of our own. And we are happy, O oh Samaritan woman, that you who had have five husbands and the one you don't have, you have now is not your own. You have lived such a whole life, that you have a Savior and Redeemer. But we also have been covetous and emulate that. We also want to be a partaker of that also. And we want to have our own Savior and Redeemer. And it is happy, we are happy that John the Baptist has a Savior and Redeemer. But we need our own also. This is the message that we hear. Are you satisfied, dear brother and sister, that's gathered here, that you're in the right church? and you're in the right doctrine, and have the right understandings? Are you satisfied with that? Or do you really have a Savior and Redeemer? Do you know what the true Christmas lights are? Do you know what the white and the green, red, and, green and red lights of Christmas are? Do they brightly burn in your own heart? Do they burn in mine? Or is this just hypocrisy? Those are the questions and the assaults that we need to ask of ourselves. And those are the things that we need to consider, that we would not be deceived. For if there's anyone that the devil wants to deceive, it's those who are the followers of Jesus. He needs not any more deceive those who are, are already in darkness and are deceived. And so we he read here these wondrous words that many more believe because of his own word. Now, let's be careful here, dear brothers and sisters, that we do not despise the preaching of the Samaritan woman. That is not what is being pointed out here in this part of Scripture. Oh, no, no. But it's rather this, that they have themselves found, that they have reason to rejoice, and they can hardly wait for the time when they also can, with the four and twenty elders, be gathered around the throne of grace to praise Him everlastingly. And now, after two days, He... Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. And then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. For they also went unto the feast. But Jesus had to keep traveling as he has. As much as he would have wanted to stay with the Samaritans, he also knew that there was a white harvest there in Galilee and he has to cover a lot of territory. These hearts who are in the state in Judaism, but who are not part of the elite of those that are in Judea, who live in the areas of Bethlehem and Jerusalem to the south, but here are on the shore of Lake Gennesaret. These also need to have a visit from Jesus. And so he finds that he has no honor in his own country. He's not talking about Samaria here, But he is talking rather of Judea. But there had been these Galileans who had just been at the Passover feast of which we heard. It was there that Jesus had for the first time overturned the money changers tables in the temple in Jerusalem. And told them how they had made the, the temple into a den of thieves. And they had seen many wonders over there. But as we read in the last verse of our text, that this was the second of the uh, miracles that Jesus did in Judea. He had only performed one, or in the Galilee rather, that uh, he had only performed one other miracle, which we know of, is popularly known as his first miracle, where he had changed the water into wine. And in this same Galilee, then there was a nobleman, or he was of royalty, he was a king's officer, he had a son that was sick at Capernaum, and when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him, and besought him that we, he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, "Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe." I think this nobleman is a very typical Christian. Something must have stirred in his heart when he had seen that the water had been changed into wine. And he well may have been even at that wedding where Jesus and his disciples were invited. For it seemed like it was a wedding of some well-to-do people, although I may be wrong about that. But that's my sense of that. But nevertheless, even if he hadn't been present, certainly the word had spread. For who had heard that, that water would be turned into wine? Water which seems to be so ample and so readily available from every rill and brook and well has now been made into wine which is the result of long labors of carefully tending the wines and also then taking them and pressing them in the, at the right time so that wine would be made and the wine has to be carefully stored in new bottles that nothing, and not in old bottles even as Jesus has told us that it would remain in its state and perform the effect that it has uh, been sent out to do. And this, this nobleman, anyway, he thought that Jesus would come down and heal his son. Now he had seen that Jesus had performed a miracle, and though he believed Jesus, yet he somewhat disbelieved. He didn't believe that Jesus had the same power as God did when he created earth. That by his very word he could create heaven and earth and all that were therein. And so he felt that Jesus has to come in his physical presence to come to heal his son. But we don't though. So from that point vantage point we see that he has some unbelief in him. And Jesus recognized him, this, for he said that except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And it seems like a harsh answer from our Savior. But earlier in the Gospel of John, we read, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And so, Jesus knew the hearts of the people in that manner. And from the beginning of this Christianity, and even in the time of the Old Testament, there are many who believe because of miracles. And we live in that kind of time also. I personally, although I I know of only one miracle in our family that I would use that term, I have not, I am not one of those who has seen visions or seen dreams or some great things or signs. However, there are those here I believe that have had those kinds of experiences. I am not here to despise those things, for I believe that those also may be sent by God for those who are in need of them. And that doesn't mean to, I'm not meant, I don't want you to misunderstand that I'm saying that those who have seen miracles or signs are any less Christians than those who have not. Nor the converse either, that those who have seen the miracles and the signs are any less or greater than those who have not. But nevertheless, Jesus said that except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And he knew, as we read here earlier, that he knew what's in men's hearts. And he recognized in this nobleman, for he knows all and sees all, that besides being desperate for his son, he wanted to see another miracle. But the need and the desperation that was in his own heart concerning his son overcame that. Despite that, should we say somewhat of a cold answer, that except he see signs and wonders, he will not believe. The noble man said, sir, come down before my child dies. He desperately pleads for the saving Redeemer to come. And Jesus says, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and went his way. It seems to me that this, this, this noble man so easily believed Many, if not most, and I don't dare say all, for how would I know? But when you read the and hear about the experiences of the children of God, one thing that is common to many is doubts. Doubts about our own salvation and how we stand before God. And doubts even of, will Jesus really do this for me? And though Jesus has proven himself to us over and over again, we still have some doubts about the future. For this is how, these are the inroads that the devil makes in the hearts of men. Nevertheless, this man believed the word as we read, and when he was going on the way, his servants met him. You see, there was such great news for those servants They probably had heard that the nobleman's going to go ask this Jesus who turned water into wine to see if he would come and heal his son. That with great joy they go out and meet him on the road and tell him that thy son liveth. And so he inquires. We see here also that there is still some tinge of unbelief in him. For he inquires of them the hour when he began to amend. And when they told him that it was yesterday at the seventh hour that the fever left him, then the father knew that it, that was the very hour that Jesus said to him that thy son belie- liveth. And he had to have this testimony in his own heart. And that is one reason why the communion of the saints is so important. Why absolution, for example, is so important that we and that we would main that, we maintain that practice within us. And that we would also partake together of the sacraments. And that we would as the, it has said that they, they gathered often together and sang, pray, sang hymns and praises. And talked often one, and, one with another. I think it's in either Malachi or Micah that it speaks that way also. That we need to have that testimony and that assurance. Something that we can taste and see. Or as John himself has written that we have handled, and, and, uh, handled the word of God and tasted and, and seen it. And when he heard that his son lives and he heard that it was that very hour that Jesus had spoken the word that thy son liveth that he not only he him believed but his whole house what an amazing thing it seems that we see so little of that today is it not we remember how it was with the jailer too when Paul and Silas were in prison how he himself and his whole household pre- believed we also remember the same thing with the uh, can't remember his name that Peter went to when Peter went to pre- uh, preach, uh, unto him and his whole household repented. Cornelius. Cornelius, yeah, thank you. When Cornelius, his whole household, and all that we would be able to see that in our days, and we have seen it earlier, that whole households have turned on the God and believed. Even when we look at Jesus' disciples, many of them are brothers and cousins, And if they're not related to Jesus himself, then there's brothers amongst themselves. And it seems like households and families have been taken in. Now, there may be someone here who has no relatives that are living Christians. Perhaps you've been an orphan. Or perhaps the situation has been such anyway that you have not. Jesus has not forgotten you either. For he has also gone to the highways and byways. And found those individuals to draw to his own heart who may be the only ones in, for many generations in, in their family who have begun, begun to follow the Lamb of God. Well, what have we learned from our text today? We have learned that he talks about it this way. He says that, we remember when we read that Jesus said that it is my meat to do the will of the Father. In the 40th Psalm we read, Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. But here now the child of God enters into the labors of the Savior and Redeemer. When the psalmist says so boldly, and with such great confidence, and with no doubts at all, that I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. Are there yet any Christmas lights yet in this Christianity? Yea, I believe there are. But you who sit here tonight and I who stand there, am I one of those, those Christmas lights, that I have preached righteousness in the great congregation, that I haven't refrained my lips, O Lord, that I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart? that I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation, and that I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Is that the kind of lights we are upon this great hill of Christianity? Or as Daniel says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. One of those Christmas stars was that woman of Samaria. She went and she began to preach of the Savior and Redeemer. And we read here that those then who turn many to righteousness shall be as stars forever and ever. Amen. Let us close with the benediction. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make His face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up His countenance upon us and give us his peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.
0: We'll gather Thursday evening at 7.30 for a service. Saturday at 2 o'clock will be the wedding of Andy and Jessica here at the church. And then next Sunday, Sunday school at 9.30, communion service. At 1030 and an evening service at 7. In closing, tonight we'll sing Song 306.